This show is being brought to you by Grandpa Ray Outdoors. John O'Brien is the CEO of Grandpa Ray Outdoors, and he's been an agronomist for over 29 years. He's not just an agronomist, he is an educator. So if you go to Grandpa Ray Outdoors on the web, you're going to see that John is sharing his knowledge with anybody that wants to listen and become a smarter food plotter. He does have a special group called Team Grow, and you can join that. And get the inside scoop with John. He does private uh, seminars and shares private information. So check out Team Grow and Grandpa Ray Outdoors for the finest information on the web. Oh, yes, he has a full line of seeds that are as good as, if not better than, any other seed company in existence today. Let's Talk Deer. Let's Talk Deer is supported and sponsored by Grandpa Ray Outdoors. We do receive funds from Grandpa Ray Outdoors for airing this show. This is Bruce Hutchin welcoming you to part two of Mr. Art Helen of Art Helen Outdoors on the phases of deer vocalization. Try to focus on some of those social grunts at that time, okay? And um, then just kind of move past that. A lot of times if you don't have access into those areas to hunt, you know, a lot of people don't even hunt that. Uh, I do because I have access when I go and do my land management. You know, I, I build it so that I can get into some of these areas. And I, I know where those areas are. And so if the winds are right and the things are right, I'm going to sneak in there and I'm still going to try to hunt some of those deer. And it can be very effective, but it also can be very disheartening um, because they aren't going to move a lot. I've seen them where they just sit there and stare at you forever while you, while you call at them. And they won't do anything so you know that's that's that october lull part and so then really you know you're you're gonna get into um that phase three and when i start talking phase three i I start getting kind of excited about phase three and and i get excited about phase three because this is you know that 25th of october through that november 8th to 10th area right in there um that I call the pre-rut. You know, the, the big day is Halloween. Um, and Halloween was very difficult when my kids were young for me <laughs> because as much as I wanted to go trick-or-treating with them, I also knew I had to be in a tree. And uh, it's like, I love you kids dearly. Um, here's five bucks, go buy some more candy. I'm going to sit in a tree. <laughs> no, I didn't. Sometimes I would do that depending on what the weather was, but, uh, it's um you know that day for me is is a gold day you know halloween or a day on either side of that is is when things are going to happen and why and and the pre-rut and why is this happening then this is when the length of day becomes shorter and shorter and shorter as this becomes shorter okay this is what triggers the rut Every year I hear this, you know, during the October lull, the 10th of October, we get a cold front, or the 5th of October. I've had people call me the end of September, and there's a big cold front goes through, and they're like, it's all buck chasing doe today, rut started. No, it's the 25th of September. Are you crazy? And they're like, oh, no, I saw him chase. How big was the buck? Oh, it was a little spike. Well, again, you know, 24-7, 365, just like us. It's, 
they're they're always chasing they're always thinking but what sends that doe into that estrus if your deer numbers are correct and you have the right age structure are the length of days there's always that one to three percent that i call it that prior to this and after that is when does you know there's always a few does that will come into heat early and there's always some that come into late or into heat later most of them are going to come in you know after this 8th of november within this area there's always some in that first of november you know through that eighth there there just is but after that but because they're building up to that estrus and because these bucks their testosterone is starting to go crazy as that length of day starts shortening now what happens is these bucks become very aggressive and because they get aggressive this is when you can throw the kitchen sink at them um as far as calls and this is when i do throw the kitchen sink at them okay um long drawn out buck fights now you can break out that 190 inch set of sheds if for antlers if you want um personally mine are probably off of 120 inch deer you know and that that's what i use or um you know i'll use like a hs bag rattle bag something like that and uh but i want that long drawn out fight so when i start it you usually start it out and you'll crack them together and then you have a pause and then it's a click 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 and then you start cracking them again and the reason is because a lot of deer when they do that they'll they'll come in and they'll posture up and they'll get their neck and they'll posture back and forth and they'll walk in and then they take that and they crack once really hard and once they crack they don't separate right away so if any of you watch a real buck fight or a live buck fight they'll crack that and then all of a sudden their heads will twist for their power to see who's got the stronger or who's the bigger deer as far as muscle wise then they start pushing and they'll start grinding those antlers back and forth that's where you're grinding that then they'll separate and then their heads will start cracking back and forth trying to get that advantage on each other so that's that long drawn out part you crack them you loosen up and then you do that also during that if you ever watch or, or had seen me one of my video uh videos or if you're my camera person um i've had quite a few camera people over the years that have looked at me during this time of year and they go do i really need to film this man because this just looks wrong i've got antlers here i've got a grunt tube hanging out of the corner of my mouth um you know just because i want to make it as real as i can and if you've ever listened to that they'll go crack and when they separate and do that again they exhale as they're pushing again because they're pushing so hard so crack and as they do that and they'll, they'll make that grunt sound you know as they're trying to find out who's stronger than who and, and push that back and forth so you can sit there now you can start doing those grunts at the same time a lot of people don't they'll sit there and they'll crack their antlers separate them pull the grunt tube out and then they'll start over again that's not realistic that doesn't happen you know in the wild a lot of times they're grunting at the same time that they're pushing each other back and forth and rattling those antlers so that's why you'll see me and i got a grunt tube hanging out of my mouth and i'm trying to you know rattle and do different things like that because when i'm talking long drawn out um 
you know, people say, how long should I rattle for? Should it be one minute? Should it be 30 seconds? Should it be two minutes? Should it be? That's a toss up, guys. Flip a coin. I've seen deer come in, they postured each other, crack, fight last five seconds, and they're done. Then I've seen them battle for 30 minutes and just tear up the ground completely and tear up food plots and everything else to get the advantage. So it doesn't matter um, how long you do that um, as long as you're making it sound as realistic as you can. So you have anything to put into that real quick, Bruce? No, I'm just thinking the different times I, I was fortunate enough to hunt Buffalo County, and I'm thinking, you know, the one day that I, I literally covered up with deer of all age classes, the biggest buck, which is a was the size of a buck, he, he wouldn't commit, he wouldn't come in, and, um, you know, but that was my best day ever for rattling, and and it was making, making it as close to realistic as possible. And sequence time really doesn't matter to me. It, it doesn't matter. Um, what it does, you want to, I want to get really loud and then soften it up and then throw the grunts in there. And then if I, on the ground now, because I hunt off the ground now, then I'll take a stick and I'll kick up the leaves. And I've literally, literally had bucks within 10 feet of my boots because they'll come in, they're looking, they're, they're saying, what the heck is it? The wind's right, and I'm, co I'm covered up with sand, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, oh, my goodness. And at, at this point, I guess I'll throw this in. The up close and personal, to me, is just as important as killing a deer. I want to kill big deer. But on our farm, realistically, yeah, we've taken a couple of one Boone and Crockett and another – uh, was non-typical over 200, but that's all we've ever taken. So we've taken a lot of 140s and 150s, 130s. But realistically, you know, I'm looking for that character deer. I know the deer I'm looking for. And if I don't see them, I have deer. Last year, I had a deer. He came right into me. And, you know, he, he was less than 10 yards. I mean, and I'm sitting with my back to an oak tree, and I said, I wonder when he's going to blow up <laughs> and hit my scent cone. But I saw the whole thing, and I'm sitting there going, man, you're a gorgeous eight-pointer outside his ears and everything. But see, that's, to me, that's the fun of hunting now. It's just how close can I get to these suckers, and how can I observe them to figure out what exactly is going to trigger them? Because art is a wealth he's a cornucopia he's a he's got his phd as well as other people do and nothing works all the time not 100 percent of the time nothing not one technique will work so you have to figure out the deer on your property and then manipulate what you're doing in vocalization but once you start vocalizing with deer it takes hunting to a whole new whole new level it does. And like you said, you know, for me, a lot of times, and, you know, last year I posted on, on my Facebook page um, some of the sequences of three-year-olds, nice 130-inch deer, you know, making scrapes or coming in with their lip curls, chasing does, uh, deer walking by me. To me, um, 
you know, I'm fortunate because I have a farm that I can do that and pass those deer and, and watch those. And, and the reason I do, um, they're great deer, don't get me wrong, uh, but it's, I want to learn. Because if I shot the first deer that walked in um, and didn't watch that deer and interact with that deer, I'm not going to learn. So I have no knowledge to pass anything on to anybody. So for me, I'm to the point now, yes, I still like to shoot big deer. I still like to hunt deer. Um, and not necessarily antler-wise, but old mature deer. I like to hunt old mature deer. And if it's a 130-inch, five- or six-year-old, great, I'm going to shoot it. Um, but I'm also going to, you know, if it's a 180-inch deer that's five-year-old, I'm going to shoot that deer too. But, you know, so as you look at this and you grow in maturity and, and you've hunted long enough and shot enough that now it's become how do I pass this on to the next generation and make them better and that's by watching these deer and making mistakes you know all these seminars all the things I do are because of the mistakes I've made and I've made a ton of mistakes and said eh, I guess I shouldn't be calling and doing that I, maybe I should have called this way or not this way you know so that's how this all happens and, and comes about and how each one of these segments is broke down is years and years of taking notes and watching video footage and what they've responded to from what date to what date. And granted, like I said, there's always a few days leeway on either side. It's not that they're cut in stone, but these are the dates that things have worked the best in. So with that, I'm going to jump right back into, you know, after your long drawn out buck fights, um, as you said, you know, there's not every deer will respond to everything. Some just won't respond to that. Maybe it's not a fighter. Maybe he's a lover and not a fighter. So then what you have to do is now you maybe change things up and give that deer a little bit of time and change it to um, an aggressive tending grunt because you're in that pre-rut and sometimes those does, you might get that early one. So if you do, you know, I'll take my estrus can or an estrus wine if you know how to do it on your call and just, you know, let that wine go through. And then as soon as that's done, a tending grunt, which is a So when that deer, when they're chasing, if you've ever heard that in the woods, when you're chasing or seeing that buck chase a doe, when his hooves hit the ground, he's like, and he's popping. That's what he's doing. He's, that's a tending grunt. He's tending her, trying to get her to stop. So if that rattling's not working and he's not an aggressive deer, switch that over. Okay, switch it over to that um, estrus bleats and that tending grunt. Now those all of a sudden, these bucks are going to go, huh, all right, here's the first doe that's in heat. Now I need to go check this out because there's another buck chasing her. What buck is that? Because I should be the dominant buck here. I already established that over the last month, so who's in my territory? Okay, so look at that. And then the last thing and the most effective that I, I truly believe it's the most effective call during this time of year, um, if used properly, is the snort wheeze. Okay, and I will never use the snort wheeze. I should I should never say never because then I then I'll. I'll do it once, and then somebody will go, hey, I heard that podcast, and you said never, and you just did it. Um, so, again, you don't learn if you don't try. But um, very seldom will I use it on a blind calling sequence. 
rattling, yes, tending grunts, yes, um, estrus bleeds, yes, things like that I will do. Um, but a snort wheeze, because what happens with a snort wheeze, that is usually your dominant buck, or at least a two and a half, if you had good age structure, two or three year old challenging another buck, okay? What happens when they get old like that is they want to get on the downwind side of that deer that just challenged them. Well, if you do that as a blind call and you snort wheeze, you're automatically telling that mature deer where you're at and he's going to try to get on the downwind side of you. You may never see that deer. That deer may circle around behind you in a blind call and not know that that deer is there. Okay. Um, so a lot of times if I'm doing a buck fight or if I'm doing estrus bleats, whatever, and I see this deer coming across the field or cutting through the timber, I wait until that deer is on my upwind side where I know I can get him to cut across in front of me still on my upwind side. And I'll wait and that's when I'll snort wheeze at that animal. And it's just a... <laughs> This is Bruce Hutchin with a special message about my relationship with Burner.com. Burner HD is a non-lethal pistol that's available now on the web at Burner.com. If you go to the web and use my promo code, promo code AON2020, that's promo code AON2020, you're going to get a 10% discount on all burner product so again let's talk to your has a discount promo code promo code aon 2020 that's promo code aon 2020 burner product go check them out they're great and exhale it all all the way out get that out there and I'm going to tell you what, if you do that at the right time, I've, I've rattled at these deer and rattled at them. I've grunted, I've done things, and they'll sit there and look at you and go, yep, when you hit them with that challenge grunt, if that is a mature deer, you're going to turn that deer inside out and he's going to come check it out. It's just in their blood, you know. If they're a fighter, they're coming. Now, if it's a one- or two-year-old and you have really good age structure on your property, and you do that at a one or two year old, <laughs> usually what happens is that's going to turn that deer inside out and you're going to see nothing but that backside of that deer doing mocking you away from you. Uh, it's fun to do though. That is actually it, fun to do. It really is once in a while. And we've done that. And um, it's even, you know, a lot of times I'll use a decoy during this time of year. And that's great to use that snort wheeze. When I use a decoy, I usually take one antler out, and I only use one antler in my decoy. Um, for some reason, over all the years, that has worked better than any other posture or anything else that I've done is using one antler in, in a buck decoy. Early, you know, then in a little bit, I'd switch to a doe decoy, but during this time frame, I always use that buck decoy, okay? And I use him as a posture like he's posturing up. Well... Use that snort wheeze with that, and it's absolutely amazing. You know, a real quick story here before we move to phase three. I was hunting South Dakota years and years ago, um, back when I was uh, filming with Archer's Choice with Ralph and Vicky. And um, we were out there filming, and there was a deer. He was probably three, 300, 350 yards across a wide open field. And he was working a working the edge of that wood line on the opposite side of the field. 
and the crops were out and I could see this deer walking. I said, you know, that's a good mature deer for South Dakota. And so I rattled at him, he stopped, looked, grunted at him, stopped, looked. Pretty soon he started rubbing um, a couple trees over there and getting aggressive, but then he'd walk, keep walking that fence line. So I hit him again with the same stuff. He did stuff, my cameraman says, this just isn't gonna work. I said, let me try something. Put his head down to make that rub, and when he did, I hit him as hard as I could with a snort wheeze. He about, I thought his antlers were gonna pop off as fast as he snapped that head up. I mean, his head came up and he looked. And he stared and he stared and he stared. So I waited, as soon as his head kinda went down again to get aggressive, I hit him again. He started making a scrape. So I did a challenge grunt followed by a snort wheeze and that deer turned on a dime and walked and we got filmed the whole thing. He walked 350 yards straight across that field as postured as postured could get right straight to me and I shot that deer at 18 yards. Um, without that snort wheeze, I think with just rattling and grunting at that deer, he still would have just kept doing what he did. Um, and walk that entire fence line, making a scrape, hoping to see me and, and show up. But uh, once I hit him with that challenge grunt, that was game over. So that call during this time frame, to me, I have called in more big deer um, with that call during this time frame than I have pretty much, you know, any other time of the year, obviously. But called them either off of another deer out of a buck fight or um they weren't responding to something else until i hit them with that challenge call and uh that is money during this time frame so really concentrate on that make sure you have you know some type of snort wheeze with you you know run through those long buck fights get aggressive during this time of year guys because this next phase coming up phase four Phase three, the other reason I like it, a lot of those deer that you have on your property and you're focused with are there with your does right now. So that deer that you've been focused on trying to kill, he's susceptible to being called in and killed at this time frame, and you have that to your advantage, especially if you get aggressive with him. And get aggressive because now all of a sudden what happens is you jump into phase four, which is gonna be the peak rut, the breeding season, He's going to go on lockdown. He sees that doe or he finally catches up with that doe. She's in heat. He's going to lock her down somewhere. You may not see him for a few days. You may not see him for a week. If the does are not there anymore and they've bred out towards the end of it, that deer could be four miles away chasing another doe. And so, you know, because of that, things get a little tougher, especially in the calling uh, end of things. Because now this is the problem. You get into that November 8th, 9th, through rifle season, per se, here in Wisconsin, the 20th, um, give or take a few days. The end of that real peak breeding season or peak rut, this is when a lot of people are just bringing out the calls. You know, they say, oh, I'm going to take off that November 7th, November 5th through, you know, the 15th of November, 20th of November, because that's the rut. It is the rut. But it's a horrible time to be calling deer. And so a lot of guys are like, I've never had rattling work. I've never had grunting work. I've never, well, that's because we're doing the wrong time and wrong things. At this time of year, 
a lot of guys pull out a grunt tube and they do their social grunts. That's like me, you know, walking through the hallway and seeing you, Bruce. Say, hey, Bruce, how are you today? Yeah, eh, good. You know, um, we're back, you know, years ago, if we did that at the wrong time, be like, what are you looking at me like that for, man? And then all of a sudden everything goes crazy at that wrong time of year, you know, especially if you've got a girl sitting there, say pre-rut, and now you do that, well, you know, you might want to throw down instead of just saying hi. Well, you've already thrown down, you know who's the boss. Now I've got the girl, or you've got the girl, and these guys come in and they're trying to do that social grunt, or they're trying to rattle. He says, why do I want to do that? I just fought for two weeks. I already know I'm the boss. I already have my girl over here. So why would I socially come check you out? So they're too late with those grunts and they're using a social grunt when they shouldn't be. Okay, they need to change that up. And now they need to get into the tending grunts and the estrus wines during that peak breeding. Because those bucks are looking for that doe that's in heat. Because now they know their time's limited. Those days are short. The weather hopefully is holding right and cool. Usually the moon phases right then are about perfect. So that is peak breeding. They're looking for those does to breed. They might have just peeled off one doe looking for the next. So estrus bleats and tending grunts. That's what you really want to get into during that time frame. That, you know, 8th of November through right up till about rifle season. The rattling, the dominance, those things, they're just not as effective. If you watch a buck mount a doe physically, when he dismounts that doe and she walks away, now if you rattle or if you challenge grunt him, that's a whole different ballgame. Now that deer may respond to that. You're still going to have better luck if you go with the estrus wines and the bleats during this time. So a lot of times, guys, it's not that your calling is horrible and that it's not working. It's we're doing it at the wrong time of the year. So focus those same calls a week earlier. And then switch when you get into that time frame of more of your estrus bleats and your tending grunts, okay? And get away from that social grunt. So then you get through that. Rifle season usually comes around in Wisconsin. Uh, a couple of the other seasons. Um, that kind of throws a hamper in pretty much everything as far as calling goes for a little while, depending um, on where your property is and how you manage it, different things, how much pressure there is. Otherwise, um, you know, you can do the same thing right up until that rut is over, which usually will end about that rifle season, but there's still a few stragglers here and there, and there's also that second rut that comes in. So, you know, if you're looking at the 1st of November, that first one came in, some of those fawns and stuff that didn't get bred early like that will come back in that first week of December through, you know, that 10th of December, something like that is usually a second rut right in there. Um, so you get back to those estrus wines and uh, your um, tending grunts get effective again during that first week of December if you're in the right place and you haven't had a ton of pressure. Um, before I get in the last one, anything you want to jump in here with quick? No, I think, you know, folks, one, you got to spend time in the woods. Art has thousands of hours of observation. Obviously, he's seen what works, doesn't work. One thing on when you're calling off uh, a mature beer, 
with the uh, Snortwees, he thinks all of a sudden he's not the dominant deer anymore, and it pisses him off. That's yep. what happens. And that's why that deer came all the way across the field 300 yards or so because he's going, wait a minute, I'm the guy because I've already established dominance in this neck of the woods. Who the heck is this? And, you know, that's why it happens. And watching the wind, uh, I had a great talk with uh, Doug Roberts. I'm going to give a shout out for Conquest Sense. And, um, you know, he's got some really great things. And Conquest Sense is just one company. I happen to, to have spent a time and his, his podcast is coming up. And, um, you know, I like what his stuff does, but there's many, many different companies. But integrate with all this calling, different scents. And there's scrape sticks. I mean, the industry is huge, folks. So you have to take each part of it and apply it. You know, hanging hemp rope, you know, over a mock scrape works wonders. You know, we didn't even talk about that. We we talked about that in the, in the past. The one thing that I would say, and we'll end it on this, if you're not taking notes every single day you're a field, then you're shooting yourself in the foot. you got to take notes, whether you do it on your cell phone, where you have a journal, whatever, because you'll see a pattern on your land, as Art said, the dates. He knows the dates on his land when these calls are going to work. Why? He doesn't remember. His memory isn't that good, folks. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Trust me, it isn't. (laughs) I know. So... But he, he knows because he has journals and he's got filming. And so he can look and he can look at his timestamps on his trail cameras. So he's got all this data, which we have more data than we need right now. Not need, but you have to correlate it so it tells you, okay, this date to this date, this is what I should be doing. Here's the sense I should be using. Here's how I should set up. And then it switches. And once you understand that, what your deer are doing, you can hunt and kill deer during lockdown. I know a lot of people that use decoys and they go stalk deer because they know where the bedding areas are. They know where they should be. And I've had, last year we had a buck and a doe for about two days within 150 yards on the lee side of the ridge, of an oak ridge, and he wouldn't leave her. And we didn't want to shoot him. So he just did his thing. But he was right there. Not basically in the open, but he was visible. And, and so, he, go ahead. Yeah. And, and like you said, I mean, that's it. It's, uh, you, you got to know your deer. You got to, and, and like you said, I mean, I've, I've had plenty of concussions over the years. So my memory is, is not that good at all. There's, <laughs> there's days that I wake up and, don't remember exactly what I did yesterday. So, um, you know, and sometimes that's a good thing, but uh, it's, uh, you know, so you have to do that. You have to log things. You have to log your trail cam photos. You have to log things on paper and figure out, okay, this is when these dates were. You got video footage. And that's a nice thing with filming everything and working, you know, with the show and, and doing different things is I can look back through all that video footage and I can say, okay, now, what date was that again? And so then I can go through because I've got it all logged on video so I can see what those deer were doing, you know, from one time to the next. 
And um, I guess with that, you know, I can finish up with this last phase five and, and what we're doing here and then uh, let you, you know, kind of fill you back or you can fill back in on some other stuff and we can, things ended here. But, uh, you know, the last phase is really December 5th through the end of season. And, and what happens, a lot of these deer, because they're what survivors, you know, are left, are back to food. They're trying to get as much food, as much protein, as much energy that they can to make it through this long winter. So they become social butterflies again, is what they basically do, is who made it through, who didn't, who, uh, um, you know, when, when certain things, when bad things happen, um, even to us as people, what do we do? You know, we, uh, we call, you know, we call our friends, Hey, are you okay? Are you okay? Or, you know, make sure things are, everybody's still around and things are happening. It, it's no different with these, you know, after they come through gun season, a lot of them are like, Hey, I wonder if Jim made it. And, uh, you know, or a hundred, if Bill is still over the hill being crabby. So what they do is they get concentrate on those food sources and they become social again. So now you get into those doe bleats, those social butt grunts, um, and uh, those little bucks, because now they might have come in or got kicked in or pushed in from a different area, they're going to start sparring with those little bucks again because now they want to see who's who there. The big deer still know who they are when they come out, so he's going to come out and maybe he'll come in and look at that light sparring, uh, look at that social vocalization again because they want to figure out who's still left and who's there and still say, you know, I am still the dominant deer here and show who that is. Um, a lot of times this happens after dark because they've had so much pressure. This is one way to, if you can get in there without being seen, it is one way to draw them out into those fields a little bit earlier, still during shooting light, um, is get social with them again. So, um, you know, and that pretty much gets through those five phases of calling, you know, from, you know, opening all the way through closing and, and how to break it down and, and what to use at different times. So, uh, you know, there, I've only got, I guess when you got anything else to say, then I've only got one no, other thing I want to say and that's about it. No, I, I, I'm just thankful that we had a chance to get together. I've, I've got 15 more days to hunt elk. We, we did get two feet of snow up at 11,000 feet where I was hunting on Tuesday and, I I I pulled camp because I didn't want to hunt in two feet of snow. I just with a rifle I would have hung in, but not with my bow. Just not going to do it. Those days are long gone, partner. So I'll be going back Monday, and uh, you know it's always a pleasure. Art, say hello to Michelle for me, and go catch a fifty-inch uh, muskie. I hope so. And and one thing that I'd like to just say is I don't know if you know when this will air or when anything else is but we are taping this on 9 11 and so i just want to yes uh, we are hats off to um you know all the men and women you know with their sacrifice and all the heroes of that day and in everyday sense of you know putting your lives on the line for us so that guys like bruce and myself and other people in this industry can sit here and do what we love um, and bring this to other people and without those people we can't do what we want to do so thank you very much and uh god bless y'all well said and god bless